Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Welcome, everybody, to this week's episode of Tennis Channel Inside In on the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. I'm your host, Mitch Michaels, and we have a star-studded show for you this week. Jeannie Bouchard in person, the Canadian mainstay on the tennis tour, the most popular athlete in Canada on social media, and she has a lot to talk about, very forthcoming about her career, the highs and lows, working in television. She was at the studio killing it on her tennis channel airwaves. She's got some funny stories about being a celebrity, becoming one essentially overnight, what her goals are on and off the court. It's a very fascinating discussion with Jeannie Bouchard. And then Mark Petchy, the veteran broadcaster who's been calling tennis for decades, just recently made his debut on Tennis Channel. He stops by to talk about the Rogers Cup, Medvedev and George's triumphs, the Cincinnati Masters this week, the sad injuries to both Federer and Dominic Team what's on deck at the U.S. Open. It's Jeannie Bouchard and Mark Petchy on Tennis Channel Inside In. Let's start the show. And welcome to another episode of Tennis Channel Inside In on the Tennis Podcast Network. Mitch Michaels here in the Santa Monica Studios. Another edition where we get to talk to the players on tour of this game that we know and love. And our guest this week, uh, it's a big one. Trust me at that. Uh, this is the uh, first Canadian player I've had a chance to talk to. In 2014, she actually was the Canadian Athlete of the Year. So, sorry, Sidney Crosby, you didn't quite make it that year. But uh, been on the WTA Tour since 2013 and uh, has had her first real taste of TV work, major tennis exposure here at Tennis Channel, while she recovers from an injury. It's the one and only Jeannie Bouchard. Jeannie, thank you for joining the show. Thank you for having me. I wanted to get into a lot of different things with you, but I think the first thing is the basis of you know, why your name, why you were named what you are, Eugenie, the obsession with the royal family that your mother has, and uh, Princess Eugenie of York, if I have that right. You do have that right. Yes, I have a twin sister, and her name is Beatrice, so we were named after the princesses Beatrice and Eugenie. In Wimble- at Wimbledon in London, they love it because they are yeah. obsessed with royals, and so they love when other people are obsessed with royals as well, and so the story is just my mom loved classic traditional names, and since we were twins and they were two sisters, just named us after them. And so, yeah, I mean, she is kind of a royal junkie. So, yeah, 11th in line in succession I saw, which, I mean, it's good. I mean, not top five in the world, but it's close, I guess. I, I think the bigger question is, though, can you paint like she can? No. Oh, my no. gosh, no. <laughs> no. I, I don't look. There's limit to my talents, okay? <laughs> well, you know, I don't want to. We've got a lot to discuss here in, in the time that we have. But uh, first question foremost is, how's the injury recovery going? I think a lot of us were excited to see you back and have success on the court in Guadalajara making that final. But, you know, unfortunately, the injury bug hits you again. How's that recovery process going? Yes, thank you for asking. It's going well. So it's been two and a half months now since I had the surgery. And so I'm still in the process of really just doing rehab every single day. I have to get my shoulder worked on. I have to do exercises with bands, exercises that are just like kind of range of motion type And so I'm not on the court yet. I think I need about another month or so before I can get on the court and start that progression of training. How fun did it feel for you to be back out there in some big matchups, another final? I know it didn't go your way, but getting back out there and then losing to a player that's actually had a pretty good year too, so not a bad loss at that. Yes, and I felt like my my game was, you know, playing better and better after the pandemic. I took a lot of time to train during those months off we had from tournaments and I was at my lowest ranking I had been since I was 16 years old. So I was really kind of dying to play a tournament and get back to where I know I belong. And when you're forced not to play, sometimes it's like you want, you get more motivated than if you just choose to like take a week off or whatever. So after the pandemic, I was super uh, focused. I tried to play a lot of tournaments and I feel like I, I was playing well even last year. I made a final in Istanbul as well. So two finals, two losses, but it's better than not even reaching the <laughs> final, isn't that's it? That's a good way to look at it. And I think Istanbul was the first match where, first run where 
people were saying she's in better shape. Do you think that's a fair assessment that you got yourself in better shape coming back from the COVID break and getting back out there? That was the main goal during that pandemic. I train out in Vegas with Gil Reyes, Andres Agassiz, former strength coach. And we were like, okay, we have a block of time to train now. And as tennis players, we don't normally have a period of time like that to train. It's always rushed in the off season. Okay. A couple of weeks off, a couple of weeks of training and then boom, you already have to fly to Australia. So we were like, we are going to make an actual difference and take the time. So I really worked on fitness. I was doing it every single day besides a day off a week, approximately during the pandemic break. And I felt great coming out of it. There's very few people that I think you could have seen better off than Gil Reyes. Like his, his, his resume speaks for itself. Of in tennis. course. Yeah. That's why I went, I went out there to kind of, I mean, I've known him since I'm si- I'm 16 years old, so it's been over 10 years, but a year and a half ago, I decided to spend more time really making that my training base because I just wanted to feel strong on the court and not feel like I'm fading in third sets. So I, I want to get to your backstory a little bit. It's a, it's a fascinating and unique one like most in the tennis world. Um, growing up in Canada, Montreal, what do you think made you different as a kid? Aside from just being taller than all of your siblings, what do you think made you different? And how does, how does a girl in, in Montreal pick up a sport where they haven't really had a lot of national success? That's a very good question, but it just shows you that someone can come from somewhere unexpected and to not put limitations on people just by stereotype and things like that. But, you know, the first earliest story of where I knew I was a bit different would be when my parents put my sister and I, so we're the same age, at age five, in these tennis groups, like one hour class once a week, every like Friday afternoon after kindergarten. And The group consisted mostly of like games and hand-eye coordination things like jumping in hoops and bouncing balloons on your racket and things like that. And all of the kids loved it because it was fun. It was games. But we only actually, they only fed us tennis balls 10 minutes at the end of the hour. And so I would leave those classes like in tears and say to my parents, we only play for 10 minutes out of the hour. Like I (laughs) hate this. And every other normal kid (laughs) loved it because it was fun. So I was the anomaly. I was the weird one. And my parents were like, wow, okay. She really likes the sport. And so they started putting me in like groups, group lessons three times a week. I started doing private lessons as well. And I played my first tournament when I was eight and my twin sister, meanwhile, retired at the age of six. So, so that love, I mean, I'm starting to see the, the trend talking to enough tennis players that there's like a weirdness to just how obsessed they are with the game. You always, had that same level of love. You never felt burned out. You, I mean, you moved to Florida. That's a, a pretty big commitment for a kid to make, but you were always in love with the sport. I was, yes. My parents decided, look, if we're going to have a real shot uh, in the in the North America, the best places for tennis are kind of California and Florida. You can play outside all year round. The level of coaching is higher. The amount and variety of players was higher than Canada at the time, which really didn't have good infrastructure for tennis. So We moved there when I was 12 and I trained full-time in an academy and did school online and really like changed my whole life. So what was, if you don't mind me asking, what was the best piece of advice that you received, whether it was your parents or coaches on the way up, like when you're starting to make a name for yourself, Mm -hmm. is there a piece of advice that stands out that really stuck and kind of got you going along in the right way? I mean, one piece of advice from my coach, Nick Saviano from back in the day, he, he just always he never like limited me. He always, we always had the plan of it's not really, if it's going to happen, it's more like when, and I think you have to have that mindset to really strive for the top or else you won't even have a chance to get there and you might not achieve it, but you'll still achieve good things along the way. But I never like questioned what I was doing. I mean, the rise that you had was pretty phenomenal even before we get to the pro success because Wimbledon Junior Championships 2012, Svitolina, who's gone on to have a tremendous pro career, beat her pretty handily. And one of the things that stood out to me in looking at that match is you played kind of a pretty different style than your pro game was. Like It was more defensive. You were in tremendous shape. But when you started to turn pro 2013 and then obviously the 2014 season, did you make a conscious effort to say, I have to be more aggressive out here in how I play? I think over the years, I was in the process of developing shots and weapons, and that's always what I did with my coach. It was really about the long term. It was always about the future, and so we kind of tried to not focus on short-term results, junior results, even though it's important to play those events and, and play the best competition in the world in your age bracket, but it's not like 
a guarantee to success in the pros. So it was really like, let's build a game for the future for when I am in the pros. And so I think I started, you know, feeling better on my serve, uh, being able to control the point more with my forehand and things like that. In the as I transitioned. So what was more surreal then in 2012 at that Wimbledon? Was it winning the actual tournament or meeting Roger Federer at the ball? Look, you can't forget, I also won the doubles. Yeah. And the week before was Roehampton, which is a warm-up event, and I won the singles and doubles there. So I won, like, something like 22 <laughs> matches in a row oh. on grass. And so I was full of confidence. But it was in, it's funny you say that because as soon as we got to the, the finals of the doubles, I was like, okay, we can relax now <laughs> because we're going to for sure go to the ball if yeah. you make the finals. Yeah. And uh, obviously... The, the goal was to at least make it to the Wimbledon ball because that's such a big deal, especially yeah. when you're a junior. Like, it's like one of those moments that you'll never forget. Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s-inspired style and cutting-edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high-energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Jeannie Bouchard here on Tennis Channel Inside In. Yeah, I'd have to imagine with how your career was blossoming, there was definitely a lot of buzz going into it. And you had that good 2013 year where you were ranked just outside the top 30. 2014, we're looking back at it. It's one of the better years any woman had that whole decade, making three slam semifinals. One of those was a final. I mean, that's a short list. You're looking at the Williams sisters and Kerber, and I think that's pretty much it for that decade. But my question being, how did it all come together so fast for you, where you went from a solid player on the pro tour making a living to consistently making the semis and finals of big events? You know, I think the answer to that is just for us, and I, I saw Jensen Brooksby talking about this in D.C., where he said, hey, this is not a surprise. Like, I've been working my whole life for this. My answer, I've always said that since I've been on the pro tour. It's like, oh, my gosh, this is an overnight success. Like, no, it's not. Yeah. I've been doing this since I'm five years old. So I've wanted to achieve these things. I've been planning to achieve these things. And you just keep working, working, working until it clicks. And so it's a long time coming. There were a lot of big names, champions, past and then future that you beat along the way. I guess this is more of the tennis nerd out question. How often were you studying like your opponents going into these matches, trying to really pick up on what they do and really look at the tape, so to speak? Well, I think watching tape is something we should all do much more in tennis. And now that I've been in TV, I've yeah. watched more tennis than I ever have in my entire life, like combined oh, yeah. <laughs> as I did in the past 10 days. And I think that's something I want to add more going forward. As for what I've done in the past, I've really left that up to my coach. So my coach will watch and study and then come back to me with his kind of summary of my opponent. And then, of course, the game plan and, and what to do. I would argue that as far as tennis people go, maybe you can talk about the big three back in the day, but it's hard to find. Like we all talk about that life changing moment of you have success, you're famous now. I was trying to think about this. I don't really know anyone that's life's probably changed more than yours did when you when you rose up to the top. I mean, you're still the most you know followed social media athlete in Canada now that George St. Pierre is retired. <laughs> but I have to imagine it's hard for anybody to stay grounded and stay you know normal, so to speak. I mean, you by all accounts, and we we know each other for the 15 minutes of this conference <laughs> seem pretty normal. Which oh, I think well, I'm hiding <laughs> it all from you. Don't worry, I'm hiding it all. But no, I mean it. It had to have been a challenge to get used to this newfound fame because while you did work really hard to get what you accomplished, the fame thing did kind of happen overnight. Yes, I agree with that. The fame comes quickly with it, and that's the part that I think most athletes or anybody really is the least prepared for because you're training and you're planning for results and expecting these results and preparing for good results. But I, I wasn't prepared for the fame that would come with it. I wasn't prepared of like, okay, your life is going to be like this now. Like no one knows ahead of time yeah. and you don't really want to prematurely do that either. Cause if it never comes, you know, you don't want to start thinking you're bigger than you are. Right. So I always just kept my head down and stayed in my bubble. And the biggest thing that I think about looking back is that I didn't realize what I was doing in that moment. Like right. I was so much in a bubble and I was like, oh yeah, this is normal. I'm just making semis of every slam I enter. Mm -hmm. And it took me weeks and months and years to process what I did and be like, wow, no, that was an amazing accomplishment. And it, it's still to this day, I look back and, and learn from what I did or, or realize more things that happen. And so it's, um, 
it's it's a unique kind of thing that happened to me for sure. Yeah, that's not a unique issue with pro athletes that have success early in their careers, right? Like the athlete that makes a Stanley Cup final his rookie year probably just thinks, oh, I'm going to be here all the time, you right. know, and, you know, and unfortunately that's not the case, but I would and, imagine. And then the fans and media yeah. think that too. Yeah. And then suddenly if you don't do that every year, they're like, well, you suck now. Yeah. I mean, that's true. The, the faster you rise, it's like the faster people are probably, I mean, your end probably looking to see how is she going to fall or what the next step's going to be. Um, you know, and, and kind of just going off that for the positive side of things. Not that, not that you aren't normal. I think you're pretty normal so far. We'll see. <laughs> we'll but, see. But uh, <laughs> what, what were some of the, I guess, the best perks of becoming famous and, you know, in Canada, especially where the success hadn't exist? What were some of the best perks, some of the best things you got to do, people you got to meet? What was that all about? Well, I have to say, first and foremost, just getting asked for a picture and being recognized is, is still so humbling to me. Like, it's such an honor that someone cares enough to waste 10 seconds of their life asking me for a picture. And to this day, it's still how I feel. So it's super gratifying. And hearing about tennis in Canada in the subsequent years after that success was very satisfying because I would get these messages and stories from coaches like, hey, our summer camps are sold out, like in January and it's like yeah. for this July and um, tennis clubs just kind of exploding and, and more players playing and to even think that you're a small part of that is is really cool. I mean, we changed the landscape of yeah. tennis in Canada and I include Milos in those results back in the day and then obviously more recently the next gen of players, Andrescu, Shapovalov, yeah. uh, Felix. So, but to kind of be a pioneer in the beginning yeah. of that is, is super special and um, it's just such a cool thing to be a part of. You kind of ushered in that new generation of Canadian tennis. Obviously, there's been younger players to come through. You being the first in the top five to make a final, Milos, and then Bianca just knocking the door down and winning a major. Uh, and I always admired the fact about you, the Canadians, I'm grouping you all together. You guys kind of all stick together. It's like a, it's <laughs> like a brother-sisterhood thing where I think there's some real camaraderie there among all the Canadian uh, tennis players and athletes, I'd also say. Look, I trained at the National Training Center in Montreal uh, at age 15, and I was there kind of on and off between there and Florida. And I remember seeing kids like Felix in the younger group. I mean, he's way younger than me, seeing him at whatever age he must have been and being like, wow, he he looks good. So <laughs> I'd like to say I called his success early on. You were early on the Felix train. Yeah. yeah but um, so it's just been nice to see this progression. And nowadays, you know, there's so many kids playing and it's uh, I'll go back to like our old my old club and see a poster of me up there and, and kids training all over the place. And it's um, it's very heartwarming. Well, I've got one for you that I wanted to bring up, which had to be surreal. And it would be surreal for me because I was at Indian Wells a couple years ago. Huge hockey guy. Saw Wayne Gretzky almost fainted. <laughs> He sits in your boxes now to watch your matches. So what's it like having <laughs> yeah. Wayne be a fan of yours? That was a crazy <laughs> moment because it happened for the first time at the U.S. Open in 2015, and I didn't know about it. So I'm, like, on the court, and I see my mom talking to this lady that I don't recognize who ended up being Janet, his wife, <laughs> yeah, yeah. and because they have a daughter, Emma, who, uh -huh. who plays tennis. And so I was just like thought I recognized him but I was trying to be focused for my match and then afterwards my mom's like oh yeah like I was just chatting with the Gretzky's and I'm like okay mom like this is crazy what has the world come to so yeah I mean obviously getting to meet Canadian royalty like that or like with Drake when oh, I first yeah. met him I I literally well I didn't die when I met I mean it was super cool to meet him but then he posted the picture of us like on his account wow. and I remember seeing that and I was at the airport in Toronto flying somewhere and I saw it on my phone and I was like mom Drake just posted the picture of us and I literally almost like fell to the ground because I was like, what is life? And so it's it's been awesome and just to have their support and then seeing them along the way at events yeah. or other things, you like have this friendship from yeah. years back and so it's it's been nice. I would say the perks would be meeting people. Like you can talk about the money and the fame and other stuff, but just getting <laughs> to meet people that you looked up to. And that was before the celebrity basketball game where I think he was one of the coaches. That's right. Yes, yeah. yes. He was the coach there in 2016 and he kept me on the bench for most of the game, which I was pretty pissed yeah, off and that about. That was like your old sport too. Like you, you've kind of said that you yes. were good at basketball, right? I was when I was like 12. <laughs> yeah. And amongst girls my age at the celebrity game, most of the players on the team were men yeah. and mostly tall. And you just have no chance, like mm -hmm. the physicality. And the only other female was a WNBA player. So I was <laughs> yeah, literally yeah. like the shrimp, like 
not knowing what they're doing on the court. So I don't blame him for not giving me any court time, but I was also disappointed. I remember I got elbowed in the boo by Jason Sudeikis. Oh, we're going to have to get to the bottom of that. No, but the, that's not they take it so seriously. And I'm like, guys, just give me the ball once. Like, I just want to like try make two points. Like, I'm glad you brought it. that up. I mean, Ted Lasso, he's got this like positive image, but no, like he's out there throwing elbows. He, he was wild. <laughs> he was like, they all just want the ball to try show off and like be like, I can play basketball, but... Uh, amazing experience. That was, that was actually a really fun weekend, the All-Star Weekend in Toronto. That was awesome. I've gotten to go to Richard Branson's island a couple of oh. times. He's so nice. I mean, we've been dancing on the table together at 2 a.m. in his <laughs> great room on the island and just um, so many cool experiences with cool people. And for me, it's not that they're famous, but just that they're successful in another field and yeah. you can relate on things, but also learn so many things yeah. from them. And I just find it so fascinating to meet people who've kind of gone through a similar path, although in a different, you know, sector of work, of course. but, and then who've experienced, you know, coming from normal to a superstar, whatever, and experienced similar kind of life experiences as you is um, very relatable. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Moritz Jeannie Bouchard here on Tennis Channel Insight. And that's a very good piece of advice I think anyone can take outside of you know, even the sporting arena. I do have to ask you, though, with some of the struggles that you've had with injuries, do you look back at your career with uh, any level of regrets? Do you dwell on, you know, the the success or what could have been, or is it just tunnel vision to the future? Everyone has regrets. I'm trying to not have as many as I can. So when I'm old and in my rocking chair, I'll be like, okay, like I tried to do everything I could. Obviously looking back, there are some decisions I would do differently, maybe not work with some coaches or continue working with some coaches. But, um, you know, in the moment I always knew I was doing the best I could. And I just, I wish I was more prepared in a way for kind of the onslaught of the scrutiny in 2015 and how tough the media and fans would be on me kind of, oh, you made the finals of a slam last year. That means you have to win a grand slam this yeah. year and just not realizing like it's so hard to do these things. Like yeah. you can't expect, you know, these results every single year for the rest of your career, unless you're basically Serena, who's an anomaly and you can't even then it's like they're hard on her. If she doesn't win. Exactly. Every year. She makes the finals of a slam <laughs> yeah. and loses. And people are like, Oh yeah, that was a terrible tournament for her. Like yeah. it's people are never satisfied and never happy. And it's easy for them to say, you know, sitting at home and with yeah. not even having to deal with one ounce of the pressure that we have to deal with. So, I mean, I have so much to say about all that yeah. stuff. Would, it's well, really would, would you say that you kind of have like this love-hate relationship with social media because there's a lot of good out of it? And I think your attitude is super positive in a lot of ways, more than most people would take the kind of flack you do. But is there still that kind of love-hate you know, relationship there? It's more of a realizing that there's pros and cons yeah. to it, as there is with everything in life. Your life mm. lessons from Jeannie. Um, <laughs> it's more of just like, hey, there's positives. Like, I can interact with my fans. I can make money. You know, I can hawk products on social media and make money. But I can also just... It's, it's, you're just very accessible. So people mm -hmm. can reach right. you and say whatever they want. And it can be anonymous. And so, you know, I, there's no way to kind of fix it because we do have freedom of speech. Like, what are you going to do? Police every single account that says something yeah. mean. I mean, when people are watching sports in arenas, they scream mean things to the players. That's not yeah. illegal. You mm -hmm. know what I mean? Obviously there's a line when it's death threats, which is completely unacceptable yeah. because that is illegal, but it's more just like, it's more just like people not realizing how hard and stressful our jobs actually are. I liked how you had uh, that one post where you had Caroline Wozniacki's back, where she was getting trolled, and you're just like, no, you belong on my page. Like, that, <laughs> something about that post was like, wow, this, this person gets it. Like, I thought that was super funny in yeah. that regard. It just shows you, you will never make everyone happy, and no matter what you do, there will be people that hate. So you just have to do you, do what you want, and... Take it as a compliment. I mean, mm -hmm. they're taking time out of their day to write something mean to you. Like, it's literally a reverse compliment. Would you say that during those downtimes, you maybe were a little hard on yourself and just kind of some of the losses on court, you took a little rougher than you 
I don't want to say have a different outlook now, but it seems like you are a little more positive on court and it's, you know, you realize how much of a privilege it is to even be out there. Yes. Looking back specifically, I remember losing in Indian Wells in 2015 to uh, Serenko from the Ukraine. And I took that loss really, really hard. And I had just made the quarters of the Australian Open and was on this, you know, top 10 in the world, whatever. And I was just like, how could you lose to a player ranked whatever she was? And looking back, I feel like that kind of started a little snowball effect of losing a bunch of matches and being more negative and hard on myself. And looking back, I wish I wasn't that hard on myself. Like, hey, you lost a match. For, I, w I wish I had a little more amnesia after losing matches because I would take lo lo yeah. losses pretty hard and I would like not want to leave my hotel room for a day and just like yeah. wallow in self-pity and uh, I really try not to do that anymore. Like, hey, the, the world is still going to turn. Yeah. That's wisdom and age, too. Like, just getting older and understanding. Yes. But, but at the same time, yeah. I feel like I put hard expectations on myself. But I also feel it was exacerbated by the expectations by everyone else. So I was like, well, if they expect this from yeah. me, I should, too. So, yeah, that is a terrible loss. Oh, my gosh. And so... You know, when you hear something often enough, it yeah. enters your own brain and you start to believe it. Uh -huh. So hearing over and over again how many matches I lost in a row, how I was too focused on photo shoots instead of tennis, like subconsciously it kind of like Crept in goes there, yeah. into your brain. And I'm I'm pissed that I allowed that to even enter 1%. So on that same note, Jeannie, there's no good time to get injured, but you're using this as a blessing, as an opportunity to get into TV. What made you want to do this work not just one shift like two weeks straight for tennis channel after i saw you on the uh hockey house with ryan kessler yes <laughs> his thing that was the only media thing i think i ever saw you on now you're full bore tennis commentator in your injury time well look when you're playing a full tennis schedule it's really hard to do these types of off-court activities it takes time and it's hard to schedule with tennis results um as soon as i had the injury i was like might as well take advantage of it. I'm going to regret not doing things during this time. If I just sit on my couch and watch Netflix the whole time, yeah, that's easy, but I'll look back and I'll regret it. So I thought, why not challenge myself? I'm the type of person who I need to like do something hard. I need to push myself. I, I like to work hard and, and get that adrenaline rush. I'm missing that of walking out on the court and winning matches. And I'm telling you, when I go up to the, the booth and in the booth for the commentary or at the desk for live TV, I get a surge of adrenaline. Yeah, and it's blood juice is fun. <laughs> it's not quite the same, but I'm like, okay, I feel alive. I feel like I have a goal. I feel like I'm working. Because if I'm not working, I'm going to go crazy because I'm just too much. It's like, yeah, people don't understand that you can't train 24 hours a day, whether you post something or do another mm -hmm. job, like you need to have that balance. Uh, I think people are realizing that more and true. Social, social media has changed from when I first got onto the public eye to now. And people now obviously realize it's a highlight reel or it's literally whatever I choose to show you. So it can be 1% of my life. It's not what I do day to day. But back in the day, people really took it as is. And I'm like, guys, I trained for six hours. Then I went to the movies and took a selfie. <laughs> and you're telling me to go train. Yeah, and yeah. it's like, do you sit at your desk 24 hours a day? Or do you only post about sitting at your mm -hmm. desk 24 hours a day? Like I actually, for me, training is my day to day job. So I find posting about the other cool stuff I do more interesting. Yeah. And that's why I, I choose. And also my phone's not even <laughs> near me when I'm training. Like I'm focused, but when yeah. I'm at the mall with my friends, yeah, my then phone's in there. my hand. You know yeah. what I mean? So it's just like such like ignorant, like thoughts and things that people say. It's just, it's frustrating, but you gotta let it go. Whatever. <laughs> I don't care. You're getting there. I feel like if we would have done this like a couple years ago, the tone might've been a little different, but uh -huh. you're starting to, you know, let it roll off your back <laughs> a little more. Um, I was going to ask you though, what, is something, what's one thing that's been harder than you thought it would be about being on TV, whether it's calling a match or a live studio show? Or so I feel more comfortable doing TC Live and the studio hits because that's more of a conversational interview type. And I've done a million interviews in my life. And you know the game so well that you can talk tennis. Like it's not. Yes. Yeah. But commentary is a whole other beast because you're talking about, first of all, you have to be re very reactive. You have to talk about something that just happened live two seconds ago. You can't. And, and so it's like realizing what you saw and putting it into a coherent sentence in two seconds. I'm like, oh my gosh, that's a skill. Yeah. And then knowing when to talk, when not to talk. As a fan, when I watch tennis and they talk during the point, I hate that. Yeah. When they talk too much, it gets annoying. But then you want actual substance and information at the same time. So it's a, it's a hard balance to, to figure out. Um, 
but the biggest thing over everything is you have to study a lot. And I'm like, I get in here, I do hair and makeup for two hours. And during those two hours, I have my computer and my notebook and I'm catching up on matches from the day. And I'm, you know, reading, watching highlights, reading statistics, mm-hmm. uh, Googling players. Like I know so much about these players <laughs> I've talked about in the past two weeks that I never knew about in my whole career. So it's like, I want to be prepared and like have things to say and form opinions on facts, but I have to know the facts. So it's yeah. like so much more studying than I thought. Well, now you're prepared to go back and play with all this new data. So I was saying this, <laughs> yeah. yeah, so this is great preparation to play matches. I should watch more and study players more before I play them. And now like, especially the specific players I watched full matches of and like researched, I'm like, I know so much about them. I'm going to step on the court and be like, I know everything about you. I'm oh. going to kick your ass. <laughs> well, you know what happened four years ago, right? Like, I'm sure you're aware what the Yes, I've heard symmetry. it many times, and now y'all are saying it too much. That <laughs> it's too putting much? pressure okay, on me. Okay, I won't say it, but just <laughs> just Google who was uh, a guest analyst in the studio and what happened at My that My doubles partner. Over. Yes, it was your doubles partner. So, yes, I know. Hopefully that happens to me as well. But now it's like, oh, my gosh, everyone's talking about it too much. Like, I'm going to go out and be so nervous. Like, <laughs> now I have to play not only yeah. for myself, but I have to play for the Tennis uh, Channel crew who expect me to win a slam we now. Do. We're, we're very in demand. <laughs> we're very demanding here. Uh, Jeannie, this was a pleasure chatting with you. Uh, I had one quick question before we let you sure. get here. I know you've got some celebrity friends. I know you've got some athlete friends. And I've always wanted to ask you, who's better at the other sport? Are you better at golf or is Michelle Lee West better at tennis? <laughs> I am better at golf. She okay. was terrible. We had this one. <laughs> yeah, terrible. <laughs> we had this fun media day trying to teach each other our respective yeah. sports. And I mean, this girl was like, like she was swinging it like a, a golf swing, which I guess is normal, but it was, it was awful. And I had, I had never actually touched a golf club in my life until I met her that day. And she was even impressed with me. So oh, natural athlete there. And, uh, I guess a pretty good friend on that assessment, just an honest <laughs> friend too. Um, Jeannie, again, pleasure. Uh, well, very last thing, what are the goals going forward for you? I know TV, you've, you've done a very good job at this. I don't say that, you know, uh, I'm sure everybody. you just say that. But no, it's, it's, it's a thing now. I mean, you're, you're still have a lot of tennis left. Hopefully what are the goals short and long term? Do you see this as maybe a career when tennis is all said and done? Well, I'm happy that I got the experience with this and that I have film of myself now. And so if I do want to consider it once I really retire, then I think hopefully it can be an option for me. And I think I'll kind of decide that later on. But I was super happy to get this experience and maybe I'll do even more before I am back on the court full time. Uh, In terms of goals, I just want to get back on the court. Watching so much tennis the past two weeks makes me miss it so much more. Like, it's literally painful sometimes to watch because I'm like, I want to, like, swing a racket. I'm, like, (laughs) dying, literally. So um, I just want to get healthy and be back on the court pain-free. Like, that would just be so amazing. And then once that happens, the rest is gravy. Well, we know that a TV career looks like it's in your future, but hopefully I say this, it's a long time away. I hope so too. Well, thank you. Jeannie Bouchard, pleasure chatting with you. Thanks for coming on the show, being gracious with your time. Good luck with everything. And thanks for joining Tennis Channel Insider. Yeah, thank you for having me. Huge thanks to Jeannie Bouchard for appearing on this week's episode of Tennis Channel Inside In. She was gracious with her time, very engaging and entertaining. The future looks bright for the uh, media side of things, but I think she's got a lot of tennis left in her as well. Hope you enjoyed that conversation. And uh, we're going to keep it going now with some current event talks with Mark Petchy, the veteran broadcaster who is now officially a Tennis Channel roster member as well, calling matches at the Rogers Cup, which saw Medvedev and Georgie win. He's got some thoughts on Cincinnati, Naomi Osaka's return to the courts, how we can tweak the press conference. A lot of ideas for Mark Petchy, which is great. And we also discussed the injuries to Federer and team and what's coming at this New York Open with a lot of history on the line. Novak Djokovic and Serena trying to do things that no tennis players have done before. Let's hear what Mark Petchy has to say now on Tennis Channel Inside In. All right, now on Tennis Channel Inside In, we're joined by a new face in the building, but not a new face in the tennis broadcasting landscape. Uh, a former tennis player himself got to, I think, about 80 in the world. Yep, that's it. 
worked for BBC, ITV, Amazon Prime, and now Tennis Channel. It's a mainstay in the broadcasting game, Mark Petchy. Mark, thanks for joining the show. Well, thanks for having me. It's, uh, it's been a warm welcome here. It's been great. I've, uh, I've absolutely loved my time here in LA at the moment. I have to say also, with Tennis Channel growing, I've been here about six years now in the production side. <laughs> I've heard your voice so many times on World Feed matches and all these tournaments. So it's great to finally meet the voice behind all that. Yeah, it's good to meet you too. Thanks. We uh, we have a lot to discuss. It's like we were talking before, tennis-centric. We're in the, the summer hardcourt swing in North America. A lot to go to, but I do want to put a button on the Rogers Cup last week where we saw some remarkable tennis uh, on the women's side. I mean, Camilla Georgie having her yep. career breakthrough at age 29 just shows you that players peak at different times in their career. I mean, that's what it taught me there's there there's no question i think the you know i think there's a number of factors as well i think obviously you know the more that money's come into the game players are able to stay longer in it to get kind of the success that georgie got i think the, you know obviously the huge increases that we've had at the majors have been a huge plus for a lot of those players in the kind of 25 26 27 years old that were maybe you know making some money obviously georgie just recently dropped out the world's top 100 so you know it's been a it's been a yeah. Big, big plus. So from that point of view, that run, I mean, I don't want to ever say it's yeah. a fluke when players win, but that was a heck of a run. I mean, just looking at it, Mertens, Paderewski. You could say it was out that. of the blue. <laughs> it was out of the blue. <laughs> Kvitova, Goff, Pagula, Pliskova. That's pretty, that's pretty good. I lost one set, I think, in the whole tournament. And, you know, you mentioned out of the top 100, she got back to about 71. She's about 34 in the live ranking. So. Yeah, I mean, blue chip wins as well, mm -hmm. as you say. That's not just a you know a weak tournament. It's a, it was a terrific run. But I think one of the things about Georgie, obviously, everyone knows she can be kind of emotional on the court. But yeah. you know, you got to look at the tennis as well. And she's got one of the biggest forehands mm -hmm. out there. I mean, she absolutely guns it. And so if she feels consistent, then she's obviously going to get some good results. Yeah, mentally she was locked in, engaged. It was fun to see her peak uh, on the men's side. Daniil Medvedev. Looks like he's throwing his hat in the race for being the next guy up. I know we're, we're going to get to the big three in a second, but it's his fourth Masters title. It's a big deal. How he won it, those last two matches, just destroying the biggest servers on tour as well. Yeah, it was incredible, wasn't it? Was it 11 out of 18 service <laughs> games against John Isner and Not Riley Opelka bad, yeah. that he had breakpoint opportunities all broke? I mean, stunning. I mean, you know, Rafa started the trend of returning from, uh, from outside the stadium, and then Mevatev's <laughs> turning it into an art form as well. I don't know if you saw the clip. It was in the Opelka match of his movement. There was a baseline cam of just how he is. His footwork's flawless. He stops and starts. It was, dare I say, kind of Novak-esque in his movement. But this is six six guy that runs and moves like a smaller guy. And I think that's the part of his game that doesn't really get as much credit. Yeah, he doesn't move maybe as have the same flexibility as Novak, you know, but at the same time, I think the balance, the stopping, the starting, the retrieving is absolutely up there. He's, he's unique, but that's also what's making him great. Of all these young guys, we can talk about Tsitsipas and Zverev for sure. Um, Rublev has been up and down as well. You think Medvedev is the most consistent of that next generation, that next level yes. up? Yeah, I think he is. Yeah. I think he's got the game because I think his 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 base game is a bit better on those days, and I think he gets himself through matches where he's not necessarily mm. playing as well as he yeah, would like to point. compared to like Sitsipas and obviously Zavero. Hercash match was a good example of that, where Perfect he, he admitted that he wasn't the better player, but he served well, and he can. I agree. I think he can beat you in more ways than just his A level game, like some of these guys might not be able to say. Yeah, he serves as well as anyone else out there. I think that's what's getting missed at times. I mean, his spot serving is as good as, say, John Isner's. It's not as big as John's, and it's not always mm -hmm. as consistent, but it's very accurate. And then you back that up with a defensive game. It's awesome. Incredible to see. Uh, and as far as the rest of the Rogers Cup goes, was there other, other moments that stood out to you? Obviously, Riley Opelka making a final is a big breakthrough. Uh, we've seen some other things as well, but is Opelka's the one that stands out? Yeah, I think Riley getting through was obviously a big one. I'm a big fan of Jess Bagula as well, so yeah. <laughs> uh, I was excited to see her get through to the semi. She's had some tough three-set losses in recent weeks coming in, turned those around nicely there, but obviously Riley getting through to his first ever final gives him the lift that he's looking for. Pagula is a good case study too because she's you know in that 26-27 range, and, and it does feel like her best tennis is in front of her. Like not, not just what we've seen. You know? Yeah, 100%. She's had some tough injuries as well. You know, let's let, you know, she may be that in terms of age, but obviously she's been off the tour because of the injuries. But I love her perseverance. I love her style of game. And I, I agree with you. Her best tennis is ahead. The only person that doesn't like it is Pliskova because every time they play this year, it's just a disaster. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. For Pliskova. But no, Pagua's on the rise. Uh, the somber news of the week, and there is a few stories, unfortunately, 
Got to start with Roger Federer getting his third knee surgery. Said he's going to be out many months. Won't play the U.S. Open, obviously. Uh, will fall at the minimum probably out of the top 30 when the protected ranking and the points start to fall off. But 40-year-old guy getting an, any knee surgery is not great, let alone his third one. And uh, it does look like the end. We'll see if it is. But it's just sad that an athlete has to kind of deal with this and doesn't get to put the bow on their career that they would like. I think he'll get to. I think yeah. he'll get there. I think he'll get back on the court, and I think he'll play somewhere, and he'll have his big kind of farewell. Mm. But listen, Roger's given us what's he given yeah. us twenty plus years of his time, <laughs> and, and uh, greedy. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know how much more can we take from him? I think that no, that's a good point. I just think that in his mind, I, I don't. I mean, obviously, Wimbledon was an example of where he it looked like for the first time he didn't believe that he could win out there. Playing at a high level and competing at a high level, uh, I just don't know even now that he thinks that that's possible given where his knee is. And, and it was sad to me, Mark, was that his game is based so much on the graceful movement and his footwork out there. And it's just sad that that's what's being taken from him. Yeah, it, it happens to a lot of them mm -hmm. as they get yeah. older. And I think, as I say, I think the amount mm -hmm. of miles that Rogers put on the clock, the way that he moves, how dynamically he moves, the all-court game, yeah. it, eventually there was going to be some wear and tear. There's very few people that get that Pete Sampras level yeah. goodbye. I mean, it just doesn't normally happen. And, you know, Roger's like 10 years older than Pete was then. So those great ones have got to have something that Roger didn't have, right? <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah, it just, it, it's unfortunate that we're not going to see him at the U.S. Open. We're also not going to see Dominic Team as well. That news came out today. Uh, the wrist, the wrist thing. And, and that, as you know, like, when you hear wrist and tennis player injury, that might be as scary as it gets. Absolutely, especially with the poly strings these days. You know, obviously there's a lot of, uh, you know, it's a, there's a lot of impact on the wrist naturally, but with the poly strings, it's huge. He's shut down the season, Dominic, for 2021 already. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, wish him well. He'll be back, but obviously in 2022. He'll be 28 in September, and I think there's a That's lot of That's not a pensionable age in tennis anymore, you know. <laughs> Time isn't, an en isn't the enemy <laughs> of a 30-year-old. But there is something maybe to the fact that this was a guy that put a lot of miles on his body, like always wants to play, always out there. And we'll see. Hopefully, we're all hopeful that he's going to come back, be fine. And, you know, obviously, unfortunately, not able to defend his crown at the U.S. Open. But there is that concern like this is a guy that was up against it nonstop. And now, you know, it's being taken from him in a sense. Yeah, he's got a very sort of violent game. You know, there's mm -hmm. some some real rhythmic aggression out there with team. But listen, uh, wrist injuries are never good. Just go and ask Del Potro how long it can take to get back. He's yeah. got to look after this really, really carefully. He, he's still got t 10 years on him. You know, if, if he if he gets this right, he'll have 10 years left in him. But it's obviously a disappointment having done so well last year. You know, mentally, he's opened up about the struggle, so we hope he's able to kind of keep that together and take the, take for enough sure. time for both as well. It does kind of feel like on the men's game that we're we're not there yet, but we're getting to that post big three world because you have Roger out for oh, an indefinite yeah. amount of time. We're in, big, and, we're in big two territory. We are, and even that though, even that though is kind of like Djokovic is still around, and you know he's taking time there. But Rafa looked pretty banged up, didn't play. I mean, none of these guys played Cincinnati or. Toronto or Canada so that's like a, a sign of things to come unfortunately which will be great for the others coming through there's some great stories there and mm -hmm. some really great players I love watching Medvedev I love watching Tsitsipas yeah. they're creative players uh they'll be fun and it's going to be really interesting to see who, who takes the crown from the from the big three right Medvedev was the first one that took it like this is an opportunity this is my moment he really went out and attacked and got that title we'll see if Tsitsipas who plays Korda tonight if he's going to make his moves Verev back in action from the gold medal. Uh, I did want to bring up Rafa, though, because with him, it's it's more so than any of the other players about fitness and what his level's at. We know what a competitor he is. It was very scary to watch him kind of limping around out there in the City Open, so I just hope that he's at full health or close to it for the U.S. Open. Yeah, I mean, obviously, if he comes. I mean, I think mm -hmm. there's obviously question marks about Rafa right now mm -hmm. in terms of whether he makes the move to New York. You know, that foot has been a, a condition that he's had to manage throughout the course of his career. Um, you know, he's got eyes on playing for a lot longer as well. So, you know, in the short term, obviously doesn't look great, but long term, I still think he'll be around. Once he's out there, I mean, everybody knows yep. what he's going to give you. And uh, for he's him never on, disappointed. For him on hard courts, it's just not playing Djokovic in recent memory, but anybody else you think in a best of five, especially he's got the mental edge.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Uh, Mark Petchy here on Tennis Channel Inside In. Switching to the mem- the women's side, Naomi Osaka back in action. She took out Coco Golf in three tight sets today. There was the the incident with the press conference, and I wanted to bring that up to you, not to dwell on those comments, but you actually threw out on Twitter an innovative idea. I'm just gonna <laughs> I'm gonna read part of the tweet here. You think it should be done with a minimum of two to three people in pre-tournament, and then during the tournament, always the winner and runner-up of each match, including the semis and finals. So that's that's kind of the fight game model, like yeah. UFC and boxing. Yeah, I mean, I, we're an entertainment business, and we need to kind of figure out a way to make those things a little mm-hmm. bit more less beige, a little yeah. less bland. And I also think for somebody like Naomi, having somebody there may well increase the bounce. But iconic. Imagine if we'd have had Roger, Rafa, and Novak every tournament, mm-hmm. pre-tournament sitting there. I, I think it would have been great. I think pre for sure. Like that could and, – and, and I like the idea of trying new ways because that isolated incident – I don't think I'll, I'll give it the benefit of the doubt. It didn't look hurtful. It didn't look yep. vindictive. It just looked like an uncomfortable situation. And I'm all for trying new yep. things. I think pre would be very easy to set up, especially. Pretty sure you, electricity <laughs> wasn't developed like the first yeah. time, right? Yeah. I think there was a few yeah, trial and errors yeah. with everything. Yeah, well, the Graham Bell was yeah. like, working on the <laughs> telephone. No, but I think that pre-tournament, you also don't get the negative emotions of I just lost. And and that's the part of interviews where I, I understand Naomi's side more than anything and athletes the second you know as a competitor, like when you lose, that's probably the worst time to give like an honest. Yeah, but it, but it'd be emotional. It's yeah. emotional. Yeah. We 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 allow mm-hmm. the players two yeah. hours to go and cool down, ice yeah. bath, everything else. The emotion's gone from the moment. Yeah. I, I, you know, we're, we're trying to sell a sport off the uh-huh. back of it. We're not trying to we're not trying to sort of doorstop them. But actually, what you want to feel how much pain that is. You yeah. remember Andy when he lost to to Roger at Wimbledon oh, yeah. in 2012, and he's in tears. We've seen Roger into. We've seen them all in tears at times. Roger in tears yeah. in Australia. That's what people want to see. They want to see those pure emotions come. Yeah. out of, of, of players and I think the longer you give them this space you don't get that in the press conferences it's a good point I think it also could be an alternative option to where some players who might not be a fan of this can do like a solo one if they want just to kind of give options but yeah uh, it, is, it is an intriguing idea we'll see if they take they do it and yeah like you say it's the five model f1 do it I, I like the fact that you've got to answer a yeah. question with somebody there if you're not willing to say it you probably shouldn't have said it on your own anyway <laughs> that's true what did you think about Naomi's level today in that match against Coco Golf? Yeah, it was. I mean, she served great again. I mean, she served beautifully. Um, you know, it's a it's a great rivalry. You got two great players out there. It shouldn't be one sided. It should be competitive. Yeah. I think, given everything that's going on right now, great for her to get through with the win. Looked like Coco had a chance yeah. in the second. Naomi, not at her best, because we know what her best is. Tactically, she made some adjustments, started attacking that Coco forehand, and you mentioned the serving. Uh, there is. Nobody else in women's tennis, and I'll include Serena right now, that I trust to serve out a match. It's it's very rare that you see an early break in a set and she just goes to the finish line, but that's what she did today. It was very mentally tough. Hey, iconic against Serena in the final of the US Open when the chaos was happening and she stepped up to the line to serve it out and she puts in that game that she did. That's That, that tells you everything about the quality of the motion, but also her mentality. She's a star. She is, and as a fan, as a greedy fan, I want to see <laughs> Barty Osaka for stakes, because I think that's the matchup, not just because of what they've accomplished, but stylistically, styles make fights. Yep. On the court, that could be very fun to see develop. A hundred percent, yeah. Like I was talking to Paul Anika, and obviously Tennis Channel here as well. Yeah. I think we need to speed the courts up at the lower levels, at the future levels, mm. before they come through to the pros, mm. to encourage more variety, like Barty. Encourage the fact that a slice backhand works great, because that's what we need to see. I did, just a quick side on that. I remember Roger Federer saying something where he was like, "I had when I came into the yep. game, I had to learn how to play so many different styles. Yep. And nowadays, that's not the case. Is there some truth to that? That's 100% you, yeah. truth. I mean, Roger would have grown up in a time when it was carpet in Switzerland, you know, literally carpet, <laughs> yeah. and then you would play on clay. So, I mean, you get the perfect blend. That's why so many great Swedes, they had the same yeah. thing. They do it in the Czech Republic as well. I'm a big fan of very quick surfaces to, learn, to make people learn with the blend of having clay court tennis or hard court tennis as well. It's exciting to see that uh, that there's all these different minds yep. that are suggesting. I want to see new changes too, and there could be some staleness at times. It's good to experiment. You know, everyone 
got outraged at the blue clay idea a bunch of years ago yeah. in Madrid, but it was something, you know, try something. We should something. have blue balls on clay, though. I don't understand why yeah. we have, ye ye like, green, yellow, whatever yeah. anyone wants to call them. <laughs> Some people see them a different. But blue, what's wrong with blue clay? Blue balls, you would see that way better on TV. And ideas in the in the in infancy stages they seem crazy but yeah. you know but oh, now I the know blue court looks better in australia now and probably someone was laughing well, out of the room you go back you go back and look at the green court <laughs> yeah. that australia and yeah. the us open had you could barely ever see it yeah. of course some of the innovations yeah. that we talk about won't work but at least they're going to grab a headline at least you're going to do it single sticks they should be on the side they should be on the singles line they should be on the doubles line you should <laughs> be able to go around yeah. the net more you know, it's oh, we, yeah. we, we access parts of the court now with the spin. We get players right out wide. I mean, how cool is that? How many times does a news channel get around the net uh -huh. shot? It goes on the front page. You know, those are the sort of things that I feel like we need to yeah. look at. We'll have to get a think tank going yep. and make sure this Definitely. works. Uh, who else do you like in Cincinnati this week? I know we named some pretty heavy hitters, but other players you think are primed for a run based on what you've seen? I, I, I actually love Cincinnati because I just really feel like it's going to be a great opportunity for people to step up and, yeah. and kind of, you know, get noticed. You know, someone like Dimitrov, this is his best slam, you know, um, yeah. best major where he's played, uh, sorry, Masters where he's played yeah, his best tennis. Yeah. Exactly. His slice backhand works mm -hmm. great here. Suddenly he's coming out. He's winning some matches. I love Francis Tiafo's chances. I think he's starting to look as though Americans he's got the support here too. I mean, they're, they're, they're feeling it with the fans here, especially. Yeah. And I think hopefully you're going to get some breakout stars that are going to come through that people don't. There's a lot of good stories out there on the tour, but it's getting kind of masked to some degree because of our focus, rightly so, on the big three. Well, the last thing I'm going to ask you, you go to the U.S. Open, this leads right into it, there's the week before, but you have players, Nadal, Djokovic, Serena. Djokovic, Serena specifically looking for history. Djokovic trying to hold all yeah. four slams, Serena going for the record. It's crazy tire. thing that they have all four slams. That's, that's nuts. I mean, it's yeah. just really crazy. Um, but they're not playing these events, and I was looking back, I couldn't really find anyone on the men's side that has just skipped these two and then won the Open. So is there going to be that rust factor i obviously believe if anyone could do it it's novak but it is weird that he's not playing any lead-ups yeah i mean obviously the olympic year he would have played had it not been for the olympics mm -hmm. but yeah we've done a lot of sort of in the past has who's won all the lead-up tournaments and then gone on to the the yeah. to win the u.s open has been a few of them but i mean raft has done it hasn't he but I think, yeah. I think it's going to be tough for Serena, obviously, injury-wise, coming back without anything. Novak's played so much tennis year, not overly concerned about his form. I think the talent, her age mixed with the talent depth, getting yeah. better of the women's game, there's yeah. not as many sure things in the early rounds. You've got to be ready to play right away. 100%. So that's a problem there. Uh, Novak, how healthy he is, it's still best of five. It's still Novak Djokovic. And massive advantage for the men that it, best of five, right? It is. And it was Paul Anacone that says he just asked you the question, How are you going to finish me off? Like, how are you going to finish points against me? And, you know, uh, but maybe this is the opportunity for team last year. It could be Sitsipas, it could be Medvedev, it could be Zverev. Oh, there's lots of possibilities. Mark Petchy, hey, pleasure having you on. We'll have to do this again. Absolutely. And uh, you know, we fun. look forward to hearing you on uh, Tennis Channel. So let's make that a regular thing going forward. Thanks a lot. And that's going to do it for this week's episode of Tennis Channel Inside In. Once again, big thanks to Jeannie Bouchard and Mark Petchy for appearing as guests. Go to the Tennis Channel Podcast Network for the entire catalog of Inside In, as well as every episode of the podcast on our network. Lots of good content for all types of tennis fans there. It's going to be a good, good batch of content release as we get going into the U.S. Open. We're now within two weeks. More shows coming. Inside In will be next week again, same time, same place. Thursday, another release, some U.S. Open talk, as well as some more player access. Got another surprise guest for you as well. It's going to be a great, great run on the podcast network. I'm Mitch Michaels. This was Tennis Channel Inside In. We'll see you next week.